what I get out of this film uh, is I'm actually inspired by the 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 journey and you th- what one person's prepared to do for another and uh, you you want to focus on that rather than the alternative don't you you want to focus on authentic generosity and we had to go for some lengths not to make this saccharine um and and that's i had to work very hard against that it's almost like they don't like each other and even after the journey they still don't really like each other and that's not and honestly whether you like someone or not is not important it's how much you respect someone that's important um and have they allowed you to exercise your altruism or your generous size and this is the whole this is the argument with children do you owe children do they owe you because once you have children they allow you to become the express your generosity now again it comes with all the caveats and and um uh, uh all the uh conditions of exercising your generosity but people are at their best when they are expressing uh, their generous nature Welcome back to Not A Bomb Podcast. This is the podcast where we talk about movies that bombed in the theaters or maybe the critics didn't like. Brad, uh, we're saying goodbye to 2023 with this episode, right? The last one of the year. We are. We're, I can't believe the year is is passed us by. But yes, we just celebrated Christmas and now we're, we're wrapping up the year. And what better way to do that, Troy, than with uh, our friend, our buddy, your actual relative, yeah. Nathan. Nathan, how are you, sir? I'm good. How are you guys doing? We're doing great. We're so happy to have you back. Uh, this this is a special episode. We um, it's been an interesting year, 2023 all around. And uh, when you look back on the calendar, we thought, hey, let's uh, let's let's knock out two movies because there's a director that we've talked about before that actually had two releases this year, and they both bombed. So, Brad, do you want to do the formal introduction of our films? Yeah. So, first, we're going to do Operation Fortune, and I'm not going to do the subtitle because my French is terrible. Oh, okay. And then we're going to do Guy Ritchie's The Covenant, uh, both directed by Guy Ritchie. Guy Ritchie, yes. And I I thought this would be super fun to have you on, Nathan, because I really don't know where you land with Guy Ritchie. So, uh, what do you think of him as a director? enjoy his films more often than not. I've never walked away from a Guy Ritchie film disappointed thinking, well, that was a waste of time. Uh, every time I, I walk away, at least thinking that was worth seeing at least once. So yeah, you, you must have not seen swept away or revolver, huh? I have not seen either of those. <laughs> yeah. You might, you might change that tune. Uh, I don't know. So Brad, we we've talked about Guy Ritchie specifically when we discussed 2015's the man from uncle um, you, you want to refresh our memory? What, what your, your thoughts of him are? I like Guy Ritchie films. Um, actually the last, I feel like he's finally maturing as, uh, as a filmmaker. Um, the gentleman was kind of a good turning point for me. Um, of course I was a teenager at one point in time. So Lockstock and snatch were, you know, I thought were some of the greatest films I've ever seen. 
but yes, he does have some really bad films on his filmography. Swept Away being the first one. Revolver. Revolver being one of the worst movies I've ever seen. Um, ironically, Troy, he is a billion-dollar director, his remake of Aladdin. So I guess we can't uh, can't say too much. Yeah, he's... Oh, and he also did that King Arthur film, right? Yeah. It's oh, Legend that, of the ooh, Sword. Ooh. That was 2017. That was, that was a hearty nap I took during that film. Yeah. He, what an interesting director. I, I got to say this. Uh, I, don't, I don't think we talk enough about Guy Ritchie, to be quite honest. So a, a little bit of background on him. Born September 10th, 1968. He's a film director, producer, and screenwriter. He left school at age 15 and worked entry-level jobs in the film industry before going on to direct television commercials. And then it's around 1995, he ends up directing his first short called The Hard Case. But um, man, talk about an auspicious debut. 1998's Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels which he was the director and writer of. So most of his films, except for two, he's director and writer. Do you know which two films he didn't write? Do you guys I mean, know? Aladdin would be one. No, he actually got a screenwriting credit for that. He's usually collaborating with other writers, okay. but there's two films that he did not get a screenplay or writing um, credit on. I'll, I'll just list them. Just go ahead. Sherlock Holmes and Sherlock Holmes, a game of shadows. Oh gosh. I forgot. He did those too. Those movies are huge, especially the first one. Yeah. He's, he's got some huge blockbusters in there. So, and I think that might be like the common thing with some of his films. You're like, Oh yeah, that's a guy, Richie film, especially like <laughs> some of the weird ones. Cause he has a style, but then he'll go and do something else. And you're like, it doesn't feel like a guy, Richie film, but it kind of does, but like not enough where you're like, Oh, that's a guy, Richie film. Does that make sense? It, it does. I, I mean, if you look at his filmography, he started producing. He's very malleable, if you will. Yeah, he, he, he is, um, I, I would say, a director you could put probably against any subject. And we'll talk about that today. Yep. Uh, and I, I think he fares well with it. So he's, he has always um, been a writer and director, except for um, the Sherlock Holmes films. He started producing his um, own films in 2008 with Rock and Rolla. He didn't act as producer on the Sherlock Holmes films or Aladdin, but everything else from Man from Uncle all the way to his films that he has coming out next year, one of them being the Ministry of Ungentlemanly Ungentleman Warfare, I think, with Henry Cavill. Um, he's He's been a producer, writer, and director on. Uh, a, a few more interesting facts about him. I, I, I find this guy kind of fascinating. Guy Ritchie is dyslexic. He started training in Shotokan Karate at the age of seven, where he later achieved a black belt in both Shotokan and Judo. He also has a black belt in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu under Renzo Gracie. He married Madonna December of 2000. I think if we were all around for that, we, we saw the tabloid headlines. He divorced Madonna in 2008. Uh, he married model Jackie Ansley in July 2015. And he owns a pub, The Lore of the Land, in London, and co-owns another pub, The Walmer Castle, with David Beckham. So he's oh. he's got some business sense there. Yeah, we're going to talk about two Guy Ritchie films. Both, I, is it fair to say they're 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 action films, but with very different and unique tones? Is is that the best way to to describe the difference between the two? Oh, absolutely. Like it is. Yes. Yeah. The through line between them is very difficult to see. Okay. Well, 
let's go ahead and dive into the first one. We're going to talk about 2023s came out at the beginning of the year. I think they both came out at the beginning of the year, but this is the first one. And you'll go through those details, but it's Operation Fortune, Ruse de Guerre. Uh, does everybody know what Ruse de Guerre means? Uh, nope. Well, everybody knows what a ruse is, right? And then de guerre is like war. So think yeah. of it as like the ruse of war or. Mm. Okay. Yeah. Okay. All right. But Brad, take us back to when this thing was released. Yeah. So Operation Fortune released March 3rd of 2023 with a reported budget of $50 million. We're looking at a domestic take of $6.4 million. $6 million domestically. I, I'm assuming Fairs, neither of you saw this in the theater. I did not. I, I, I did guess not. I missed that weekend it was out. And, uh, <laughs> right. We saw it opening <laughs> weekend, and the I think we were the only ones in the theater, to be quite honest. Yeah. Sounds like it. Uh, it does fare better internationally with $42.5 million. So its grand total is $49 million. Again, that's on a $50 million budget. So it doesn't even make back its production budget. Um, opening weekend, we are looking at $3.14 million pie there, Choi. There's pie for you. Nice. Um, nice. Uh, that's good enough for seventh place. And it gets beat by the following films. Creed three, Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumania, Cocaine Bear, Demon Slayer, Jesus Revolution, Avatar, The Way of the Water, um, were your top six films of that year. Not only is uh, Operation Fortune a financial bomb, but critically, we are split almost right down the middle with 51% from the critics, but an 82% with the audience. So I think uh, we might have a like a cult hit on our hands. Uh, oh. Can can we say that these statistics with the critics and the audience are, and even if you look at the cinema score, so cinema score is when they... Um, they, they're polling people as they come out of, of the theater for the reaction and they give us a, a grade of like A to F, I think. This one did really well, but all of your statistics line up perfectly to another film we talked about called The Man from Uncle. It's the, yes. it's the yeah, same they're, story. They're, this one feels very Made from Uncle-ish. Mm -hmm. So um, like maybe The Man from Uncle was a little bit of a rough draft. Uh <laughs> I, I did want to talk about the movie guide review, uh, Troy Sauer, because <laughs> oh boy, they have some things to say about Mister Mister uh, Orson we, you, here. Um, you let me know when to cue the music. Uh, let me. Uh, so, for people not aware, Movie Guide is a uh, Christian website that reviews films not for their quality but for their content, and they use a minus four to plus four scale. Troy Sauer, Nathan, what do we think the score lands? I'll let our I'll let our esteemed guest go first with here's a hint it's in the negative <laughs> oh <Yes>. really <laughs> if it has an s word it's a negative i thought, uh, I thought it might be a zero or a plus one but okay what do you think it uh i will roll with a negative three Ooh, all right I'm, I'm gonna do a negative two it is a negative true uh negative two. Ooh, winning. Uh, so troy troy sour wins okay <laughs> so we have a i'm just gonna i'm not gonna hit all of them because we have two films to do but I've never heard this sentence. Well, this part of a <laughs> sentence before a uh, solid moral worldview was strong, but mostly implied patriotic values about spies hired by the British government to stop the sale of a stolen device 
that would be used to create global crisis, endangering the lives of millions, if not billions of people. Okay. Plus, they're, I mean, strong. They, they started off with a positive statement. Yeah. Plus, there yeah. are a few homosexual jokes about a wealthy arms dealer's obsession with male movie star and his career and popularity. Uh, the rich man flirts with the star's pretend girlfriend. So there may be a small hint of bisexuality. Uh, the rich guy doesn't know she's not really the star's girlfriend. Spoiler alert. Uh, we have 28 obscenities. The violence is a lot, so I won't go over that. Some sex, some lewd sexual dialogue and jokes, including light homosexual jokes about the main villain's obsession with a male movie star and his uh, successful career. And then, Troy, you have upper male nudity in two scenes, some alcohol use, um, brief smoking, but no drugs. So there you go. Minus two and then films you could have seen way back in march of 03 we have creed 3 scream 6 champions inside 65 shazam the fury fury of the gods john wick numero four was it Uno yeah. Dos Quattro. 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 uh dungeons and dragons honor among thieves his only son, which I guess is probably a biblical movie and a good person. Oh, okay. So there you have it. Well, obviously this is directed by Guy Ritchie. We've talked about that. Uh, three screenwriters on this one, Ivan Atkinson, Guy Ritchie, and Marn Davies. So a couple of those names are going to pop up again here in a little bit. Cinematography by Alan Stewart and editor James Herbert. So in front of the camera, we have quite a collection of faces. And I want to start with Jason, uh, as, as Cameron refers to him. Jason Statham uh, mm -hmm. plays Orson Fortune. This guy's been super busy this year. In, in 2023 alone, th this is the run of films he's had. He started the year out with Operation Fortune, then showed up in Fast X, then turned around and did, uh, I think, Meg 2, The Trench, and uh, the Expendables four, that that's his run this year. I, Nathan, real quick, what are your thoughts on Jason Statham? Uh, <laughs> other than the mispronunciation of his name, uh, that's, no, that's I, how we say it in this house. As soon as when Cameron first saw him and saw that name Statham, that's that's what that's what we say. <laughs> uh, fun action star, and I think you guys have touched on this before, where he he can never contractually lose a fight and so it's always the baddie gets away or you know it, it, he's always trading hit for hit uh so action movies fun to watch but there's not always a lot of substance there so if you're if you're going to a statham movie for the plot it's a bad bet so okay uh yeah i i think that pretty much sums it up i love the guy i love his films um he you put his name on something i'm definitely going to see it I have I'm kind of excited for that beekeeper movie. I'm not going to lie. It's uh, <laughs> John wick, but with Jason Statham. Yeah. I, f I feel like uh, if he had come out when Canon films were, were kind of doing their thing. Oh my gosh. He, he probably would have replaced Michael Dudikoff. I don't know. Um, it would have been Charlie Bronson and uh, Jason Statham. Um, but yeah, I just, I, I love it. Now the other person that we're going to talk about, 
Aubrey Plaza plays Sarah. Now, we spent a lot of time talking about her on episode 132 when we reviewed the criminally underseen. See what I did there? Ah, Emily, Good job. Emily yeah. the criminal from 2022. We've also got Carrie Elwes as uh, Nathan. Yeah, see, we, we picked a movie <laughs> that you're in. There you go. Um, I guess there's three films. Carrie Elwes's name should should I don't know bring to mind. First one, The Princess Bride '87. Is that absolutely yes? Okay. Yeah. Uh, Saw 2004. That's another kind of big Carrie Elwes film. Mm-hmm. And probably the biggest film in his resume, quite possibly the best film in his resume, is 1991's Hot Shots. Right? Can we <laughs> we can all agree on that. Yeah. Yes. Okay. All right. Good. Um, Hugh Grant, another very busy actor from this year, plays Greg, the bad guy, might turn into a good guy later. Don't know. Uh, he's in this film, also Dungeons and Dragons, Honor Among Thieves, and Wonka. So I think there is a Hugh Grant renaissance happening. Uh, it's been going on for a little bit, but he's he's become quite popular. Just real quick, where do we where do we land on Hugh Grant um, overall when you look at his filmography and just him as an actor? So I, I was, I do like Hugh Grant's. Uh, obviously, the British accent makes me makes me melt. Um, you know, a, a lot of his romantic comedies got a little samey for me, but then he would step out and do stuff a little bit different, which I I always appreciated and liked. Um, but like, you know, ever since like 2015, like, I feel like he's had quite the Renaissance, you know, man from uncle he's in Paddington too. He was Mm -hmm. in the gentleman, um, this year he's in a lot of stuff. So I, I kind of like this late, um, phase, uh, Hugh Grant for sure. Okay. What about you, Nate? Same. Uh, I think if you get out of the romantic comedy genre for him, uh, he seems to have an eye for scripts and films that I, enjoy more often than not. And uh, he's a pretty good solo performer. Never have I seen a Hugh Grant performance and been like, well, that wasn't believable at all. So, Yeah, I, I got to say I've enjoyed everything that he's done this year. He's He's been really one of the highlights of 2023, to be quite honest. Um, there is There's this thing about him when he gets in these scenes and these bit parts. I, I don't know why he's not landing anything major, and sort of leading a cast. He, he seems to be getting a lot of these supporting roles, but man, he's, he's stealing all the scenes he's in to be quite honest of all these films yeah. that he's doing. So he, he's quite good. Um, a couple other names. I think he's going to be in a pop tart movie. I think from what I remember seeing, I'm sorry. Wait, a what? what? Yeah. It's, it's a pop tart movie. Like the breakfast pastry pop tart. So, so an hour and a half long commercial for pop tarts. That's I, I don't know. You, I, I remember you have got it. to be shitting me. There is no way. They're making a movie about Pop Tarts. All right, let me, I, I usually don't. Let do me this. let me look. Yes, Nathan, do the do. Okay. Well, I'm gonna while you guys this. verify this information. We've also got Josh Hartnett, which he's kind of come up in a couple of high profile films. This one, um, and Oppenheimer. He showed up this summer. So good at Oppenheimer. Yeah. Like so good at Oppenheimer. He's he's. <laughs> I forgot how good of an actor he can be. Um, we'll we'll get to that. And lastly, I, I do want to talk about Bugsy Malone as JJ. So he's a British rapper. Uh, I have to ask you about this, um, Brad, because I was doing a little bit of research on him. He is part of the grime genre. Do you do you know what grime is? Grime music? Uh, I know I know you like rap and stuff. I didn't know if you were into this sort of subgenre. 
Uh, I'm not. Okay. It's great. This is just me reading stuff, right? So grime is a genre of electronic dance music that emerged in London in the early 2000s. And he's one of the major contributors to it. So I I guess it's just a rap electronic music. And I I have yet to hear examples of it. I I will probably later. Um, But it sounds super interesting. He came onto the film scene under another Guy Ritchie film. He was in The Gentleman from 2019. So this isn't his first acting gig. A little bit of history on the production and development of this film. So Operation Fortune was scheduled to be released um, much earlier. So it was originally scheduled on January 21st of 2022 and then got pushed back to March 18, 2022. Um, At some point, it was pulled from the release schedule without any kind of comment from the studio. Reports indicated the film was pulled from release not due to the COVID-19 pandemic, um, but because it featured gangsters of Ukrainian nationality as the main antagonist, Greg Simmons' henchman. The film's producers thought it would be of bad taste considering the ongoing Russo-Ukrainian war, sparking global outrage for the film to present Ukrainian baddies. In November 2022, amid um, STX's restructuring, it was reported that the film would be released domestically through streaming services in the UK, while its international distributors would still proceed with releasing the film theatrically, which began on January 4, 2023. On February 13, 2023, Lionsgate was revealed to have bought the U.S. distribution rights and announced the film would be released theatrically on March 3rd of 2023. I think it finally did get some type of theatrical release in the mm-hmm. U.K. because that's where it ended up making a lot of its money. So, yeah, a little bit of controversy there just just based on on the bad guys. So, right, Dave, let's hear about this Pop-Tart movie. Was I right? Is uh, there a Pop-Tart movie? Unfrosted, the Pop-Tart story. Okay unfrosted how, how much of this do you remember because can you guess who is co- who's co-writer director and co-producer uh you know you're, now you're asking me to remember a lot about yeah. just he's had a lot movie. of eggnog this season i he's yeah. jerry seinfeld oh what? yes i do remember that now yeah okay you guys yep. are making this shit up there's no, no way no 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 also with melissa mccarthy jim gaffigan amy schumer hugh grant yada 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 a so, Pop-Tart movie. Yes. Yeah, so it's about Kellogg's and post-consumer brands competing to see who can produce the first breakfast pastry uh, in 1963 Michigan. Wow. Huh. Now, Troy, I will say, like, I really liked Blackberry this year. So, like, it's not out of the realm of possibility that it might be halfway decent. But Well, it's kind of along the same vein of, like, Air or something. Like, you know, yeah, this behind-the-scenes business film type stuff, right? So, Well, yeah, how, how many films do we need right now of some dramatic reinterpretation of how we invented a consumer product? Are, are we – have we not had our fill already? We haven't – I don't think we've gotten satur- to our saturation point, but we're, we're getting there. Yeah, I, I, I feel two is enough. Like, let's give it some breathing room. No, no, no. We got to build a whole consumer verse. <laughs> yeah, the consumer verse. Consumer verse. Oh, my God. I'll, you know, all of a sudden, That's I'm a just. a dark future. I don't want to. I, I don't want to do this anymore. Yeah. I, <laughs> I think we might be there already. <laughs> all of a sudden, this hobby kind of sucks. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well. Look, we got a lot to cover. Usually we would take a break or something. Um, but I think the way we're going to do this is we're going to, we're going to spend the first half talking about, um, the first film and then we'll go through this whole shenanigan again. Um, when we talk about the covenant. So I'm going to start with you, Nate, 
you're you're a special guest. Uh, was this the first time watch of this film for you? Had you not seen it before? We forced you it, to watch it. It was the first time watch for me. I missed it in theaters. So okay, what would you think about it? Um, while I did like it, uh, we've kind of alluded to this already. It still felt like uh, you know you mentioned the the man from Uncle might have been the rough draft. I felt like this was maybe the rough draft for a man from uncle. Cause I end up liking the man from uncle a lot better. Um, overall with this, uh, operation fortune, there's some funny quips. Um, I just, for me, I think it falls just a tad bit shorter than man from uncle. Um, I love the scenery. Like whoever did the location scouting did a bang up job. Cause it's just a beautiful film to watch. And it's, it's almost like a travel film with some action interspersed in it. So, um, and then just the interactions between Hartnett and Hugh Grant, like the, those I think were the highlights for me. We talked about Grant stealing the scenes and I, I felt like he pretty much did. Uh, they, they just seemed to play off of each other really well. So, so you, you compare it to the man from uncle, but you say it's a lesser version. So what is it that it doesn't get right where the man from uncle did? I think there are moments where man from uncle, just the, the, the suspense is maybe a little bit higher. Uh, the laughs are a little bit bigger for me. Um, and really, man, from Uncle, I think what wins me over is the soundtrack is amazing for me. Um, <laughs> that is a solid. Not that this one falls short. Uh, it's still both have great soundtracks, but man, from Uncle, I just you hear that intro song and you know what you're watching immediately. So okay. Well, Bradley, how did yes, how did you land on this one? Yeah, so ultimately, like I, I do like a good slick spy film. Now, this is like your mixed spy film, which is like your McDonald's spy film. Like it's quick and light and full McSpy. of garbage. I like but, that mixed spy. Uh, it, it's still fun. Um, you know, you trade. It's like Nate was saying, bringing up Man from Uncle. You trade Alicia Vikander for uh, Aubrey Plaza, which I think is an upgrade. Definite um, upgrade. Yep. Uh. You know, you're missing Henry Cavill and in in Army uh, Army Hammer's kind of chemistry that they have, but I think JJ and Orson have a really good dynamic in this one. Throw in, you know, the Nathan character, it all really works pretty well. Um, I think Hugh Grant definitely is a steam sealer. Um, it's nice to see Josh Hartnett back and doing some really good stuff too. You know, I, I felt for what it was like, it's not the smartest movie ever made. And I thought it was going to be more twisty and turvy and have more double crosses and triple crosses and all this. And it really is straightforward. Like the bad guys are a little bit like nobodies in a way, like the two, like California guy, the, like the Silicon Valley guys really are nobodies. And then the Mike character is also kind of a nobody. Um, I guess Hugh Grant is technically like the antagonist, but in the end, he's kind of not. So like it, there's a lot of problems with it. Um, I think the reason I give it a pass is because I had a lot of fun watching it and a lot of fun in this, in this sort of realm. Nate said, you know, I think it's the cinematography is really, beautiful and they really lean on the scenery and the locations and, and all that. So yeah, it's, it's got its problems for sure. Like, so when you say it's got its problems, is it the problems in the 
acting in no in- not that i think this i think the the story is a little like i said there's really no defined antagonist in this and it's basically our our people our our spies kind of doing spy stuff which i'm okay with um it's just not a whole lot if, you know if you lean on that for too long it could fall over um uh, but i just didn't lean on it too much because i kind of liked what we were doing okay uh, yeah, I, I think I liked it a lot more than you two. I, when I, I remember walking out of the theater when I first saw it and thinking, okay, we've been wanting a man from uncle sequel for a while, but that, that didn't do so well. It got, yep. it got its life really through word of mouth and home media. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's amazing how many people I run into who absolutely adore that film as they should. And to me, this is pretty much the spiritual successor to it. I, love the opening so you get uh cariel was walking down a hallway all you hear is footsteps mm-hmm. and it's intercut with this action sequence that's going on so it's a group of clandestine soldiers you know shooting up the place and stealing something and then small music beats are introduced and then you get the full music and to me, it is it is a fantastic introduction to a spy film. I like I like Brad's version, mixed spy film. Um, and to me, it it shows off Guy Ritchie as a really good storyteller through visuals. No dialogue at this point, but you have this tone and this setup within the first five minutes of the movie, and it, and he carries it through. You get a lot of the same Guy Ritchie camera techniques um, within this film. Choices that you would see in The Man from Uncle. Specifically, I'm thinking about the putting the camera on the end of a, of like a rifle, and you're looking at the person who's using the rifle. Yeah, they have a first person sequence in this one as well. Yeah, a, a lot of that yeah, stuff. Yeah, this feels very kinetic. It, it is. I mean, he. You can. We'll talk about this in the second film too. Guy Ritchie knows how to shoot action sequences. This is where I don't think we talk enough about him, because even though he does these um, crime films, etc. He understands that, um, I like that word kinetic. He understands how to deliver kinetic action and it's not confusing. Um, and it's a lot, it's a lot of fun to watch. So we wish we had more Jason Statham hand to hand in this. Like there are some, but I feel like there's uh, only one prolonged fight scene. It's with the guy kind of in the hallway into the kitchen area. I, I don't. See, this is what I do like about it. Um, the action is brisk and tight, and it never drags on too long, and it sort of propels the story, and it and it gives everybody a little bit of a chance to shine. So the hand-to-hand that Jason Statham does do in here, um, it's courtesy of fight choreog- uh, choreographer Vincent Wang. So he's been a stunt performer for like 20-some years. He's, he's worked on tons of films, even James Bond films. Um, and... I think there's some great Kung Fu face kicking moments from Statham, but I like the fact that it isn't just Statham running through this film, smacking people around. Um, you get a great car chase sequence with Aubrey Plaza and um, Josh Hartnett. Mm-hmm. You get uh, a really fun, I don't know, chase through the streets that ends up with this nice little comedic moment um, between you know Fortune and JJ. Uh, there's there's a fantastic shootout. When you say there's not a bad guy, I, th- I think it's in the title, right? So it's the ruse of war. So you don't you never know who the bad guy is. There's there's this other black ops unit that keeps showing up all the time, 
And you don't know if, if that's the British government who hired two teams and they're competing against each other. And then there's a twist at the end. Um, Hugh Grant is the bad guy, but then they end up using him um, for the big finale, which I think is fantastic. And again, you don't have Jason Statham like infiltrating a base where uh, he's kicking everybody in the face. It is that very stealthy. You got a sniper and a tower taking people out. I mean, Guy Ritchie knows how to mix the action up. And that's what I really liked about this. And it never, it never overstays its welcome, if that makes sense. It's in and out. Just like a good no, spy it film It definitely should. stays out of the John Wick territory. It does. And, and hey, look, John Wick films are fantastic, but I really appreciate some of the down, dirty, you know, you, you can only get hit so many times in the face before you're just going to fall <laughs> over. I mean, realistically, yeah. right? You can only get shot like 18 times before you're finally going to go, hey, I think I'm going to sit down for a second, right? Yeah. So I, I like that stuff. I, I'll say this. The reason why I really kind of love this film is Richie, there's two things I've always appreciated about Guy Ritchie films. One, I think he he does a fantastic job with action sequences. Two, I think he does a great job with ensemble casts, especially when he's worked with the same people off and on again. And here you've got Hugh Grant and Jason Statham, which he's worked on several times. And Hartnett as well. Oh yeah, Hartnett too. Um and to me, you cannot beat the combination of Statham Plaza, Hartnett, Malone, and Grant. I no, I, I sorry. I think the best thing you can say about Guy Ritchie is the chemistry he creates between his characters. Yes, hundred percent. And I love yeah. the Man from Uncle. Don't get me wrong, amazing film. Maybe I'm a little different on you to this one, Nate. I I think the chemistry matches what Cavill and uh, Army Hammer were doing in Alicia. I, I mean those three did fantastic in the man from uncle, but I think you've got just an equally a strong camaraderie and chemistry in this cast. A, a great example of that is there's the boat scene when they first are uh, introducing the actor, you know, Josh Hartnett is playing to Hugh Grant and they mm -hmm. have to split up, right? So somebody's got to go plant the bug and, and the other person, Jason Statham's going to go kick some guy in the face. Just as Aubrey Plaza is leaving, she smacks Jason Statham in the bum. And Jason's reaction, it's its pure surprise. Like, it almost looked unscripted. And there's those moments that are I'm sprinkled. Sorry, Br British Troy, did you call it a bum? His bum. <laughs> Trying to keep the, the tone here. All British, right. right? But its it's those little moments between the characters, in between all the action and the stealthiness, that is, uh, it's a blast to watch. It, it's a lot of fun. And even some of the out-of-story sequencing, so when he, when he breaks into the house and you don't know how it ends, but then you learn things through conversations and then they play things through a flashback. I mean, that's a Guy Ritchie, I guess, storytelling technique. Yeah, it's definitely a staple of his. Yeah, um, yeah. but it works here. Um, just watching Aubrey Plaza and Jason Statham um, going back and forth during that time period. I mean, there, there's just real chemistry between everybody. Uh, I, I think that's what makes this so much fun. I, I think it's way better than you, you guys are giving it credit to be. No, I, I, no, I think it, it, sometimes I think the, the fun factor of a film just outweighs a lot of the, the shortcomings of it. And I did have for the two hour runtime, I had a blast watching this. <clears throat> I just think maybe if you step back and look at it, it does, you can kind of scrutinize it a little bit more. 
but you're not going to do that because you just had a, a, a hell of a time watching it. So that's just me. Yeah, like, I, I, I think I, I had a blast watching this. It reminds me of um, a really good Roger Moore Bond film that when when Roger Moore, not the cheesy Roger, not like Moonraker, but I'm thinking of something like, you know, um, uh, The Spy Who Loved Me or something of that nature, you get the globetrotting sense to it. But Roger Moore always had this cheekiness and the sense of humor. And I know, you know, I'm not here to say Roger Moore is better than Sean Connery or anything else. They're, he's just a different James Bond, right? He's the James Bond I grew up on. And so I, I have a soft spot for that. He's not my favorite James Bond. But when I watch this film, it does take me back to the highs of the Roger Moore James Bond series. Like I would really like to see Guy Ritchie tackle a James Bond film. We've had um, Daniel Craig with his broodiness and his um, dreamy biceps, like smacking people around and shooting people. And, and I love what they did with that character. If they were really going into a different direction, I wouldn't mind seeing like a Guy Ritchie take on James Bond because I do think he could do something that was more of the Roger Moore-esque type film. I don't know what you guys think. No, I, I, I'm kind of curious. I'm kind of wondering why Guy Ritchie's never been attached to do a James Bond film, especially after yeah. Aladdin, like you show he can make money. And yeah. so it, it's just curious to see what he would do with that. I, I think his would lean more towards like the fun and maybe his scripts are a little bit more vulgar, vulgar, but look, he adapted, yeah. he helped adapt Aladdin and you know, there was no F word in Aladdin. At least I, did, I didn't remember hearing one. It's on the director's <laughs> cut. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I think if Guy Ritchie did do a Bond, it'd be interesting to see. I think it would be, they would have some darkness, but some comedy to it as well. I don't think it would be all just high points. It would be some uh, darkness to it too. Yeah, no, I, I I, think he can do the dramatic as well as as the fun. But I, I, then again, why would he do a James Bond film? He's made this and he's made The Man from Uncle. He's done the spy yeah, stuff. Yeah, good point. So I could totally understand why he wouldn't do it. But um I, I guess in a in another dimension, I would love to see his version of it. Yeah. I mean, maybe he hasn't done a Bond film because he wants more creative control over his projects. Oh, I could I, see I a larger he, Bond he project. He, he'd lose. Well, that's true. And then Aladdin. Yeah. So. Yeah. I, hey, look, he's he's got some stinkers. I, I'll give him that. But you look at the guy's filmography and then you look at him do a film like this. And then the one we're going to talk about. Again, I would say we don't talk enough about Guy Ritchie. Like I, I think he's one of the really better to best directors that is is out there currently working right now. Um, if if you're talking about hey films that are going to get me into the theater based on a director alone, it's going to be this guy. To be quite honest, I mean he's and yeah. I agree with you, Brad. I, I think I think he's he's really had a maturing of late, and just between the Wrath of Man and the Gentleman. Um, and, and this one, I, I think he's really just, he's hitting his stride. I, it, it makes me sad though, that not enough people have seen this film to be quite yeah. honest. It's also weird. Like with Guy Ritchie, we don't put him in that list of contemporary directors that are, you know, that we would put as like masters, but at some point in time, Tarantino, et cetera. Yeah, at some point yeah. in time, maybe Guy Ritchie deserves a little bit more than we give him. Yeah. I think, I think so. I mean, he's. He says Tarantino is one of his influences, which I mean, it's obvious in his early work, but 
I mean, do you guys think that when you look at um, his earlier filmography, he lives in Tarantino's shadow? A bit, yeah. And so they think of him as sort of like, um, I don't know, a second-rate knockoff of in Tarantino? Yeah, the second-rate British Tarantino. I think that's unfair. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think, at the, well, I would say at this point, it's unfair. Yeah. yeah, I mean, he's been working for 30 years. Yeah. Yeah, he's, so he, at, he just at has a point diff- in time, it's, it's working. It is. I, I think yeah. he, I mean, he's clearly a different director than Tarantino, has a different style to him. But yeah. you know how people are. It's easy just to put them into buckets and say, he's this, well, he's, he's that. Plus, as a, a unknown director, that gives you some name recognition without using your name and helps you, you know, make a name for yourself in a way when you say, hey, who's this director that I have no idea who he is and talk about what's his style. You, you talk about the best known director at the time. Cause that's the closest thing that aligns. Yeah. It's, it is sort of a, an easy in, but I think at some point it becomes a curse if you're always compared to that. Oh yeah. Right. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. Okay. Well, any other final thoughts on operation fortune? Um, sounds like guys had a good time with it. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'll just ask a quick question then this did not, uh, farewell at the theaters. I think more people are finding it on home media. I'll start with you, Nathan. Is uh, Operation Fortune a bomb? It is not a bomb. It's unfortunate that it did bomb in the box office uh, because I would love to see more Guy Ritchie stuff. It makes me wonder how much time he has to commit to drum up funds to make the next project instead of just making the next project. If he was well-funded, I'd be interested to see if two, three films a year from him would be amazing in a way. Well, he's rubbing shoulders with David Beckham. He can just like, hey, buddy, you got like a cool $40 million I can borrow, make a movie? I mean, money should I, And maybe it is that easy. I don't know. I don't know. It sounds <laughs> like you've got it figured out. I don't know. I, could, I don't know how it works. I really don't. Um, <laughs> but if, when, I go, when I go to London, I am going to stop by his, his place because I didn't know he, he ran a pub. So I, I want to be that guy that says, yeah, I got drunk in Guy Ritchie's pub. That would be awesome. <laughs> uh, Brad, is Operation Fortune a bomb? Yeah, I agree with Nate. I'm going to say not a bomb. Okay. Let's uh, make it unanimous, folks. If you haven't seen this thing, check it out. And, and definitely, if you love The Man from Uncle, some of the uh, the better Roger Moore films, I think you're going to love this thing. And uh, it has this, I, to me, in college, when you were nursing a hangover and you were looking for just that fun movie to put on that you could watch and laugh along, this would have been right up my alley, to be quite honest. It's It has this rewatchable factor that um, a lot of movies don't even of better quality but this is this is just a blast and you can watch it by yourself or with a ton of people I, I really want more people to see this thing okay how about we take a quick break and then when we come back we'll talk about uh, another guy Ritchie film from this year but with a completely completely different tone this is where you guys say yeah that sounds like a great idea yeah that sounds like an excellent idea Troy all right we'll be back Time for refreshment. Refreshment. For your enjoyment, there's hot, fresh popcorn, tempting, delicious hot dogs, and so many kinds of ice cream. And of course, sparkling, delicious, ice-cold Coca-Cola for everybody at the refreshment counter now. Remember, your favorite snack will taste especially good with world-famous ice-cold Coca-Cola. His name is Bond, James Bond. He's taking you on nine of the most exciting adventures of your life. 
you face dangerous Bond villains like Dr. No, Goldfinger, Rosa Klebb, Blofeld, and the man with the golden gun. You've met beautiful Bond women like Honey Rider, Tiffany Case, Plenty O'Toole, Chumi, and Pussy Galore. You've seen spectacular sets, sensational gadgets, and incredible action in Thunderball from Russia with Love and Live and Let Die. Now, get ready for the newest, most fantastic 007 thriller of all, The Spy Who Loved Me. It's the biggest. It's the best. It's Bond and beyond. Roger Moore is James Bond, the spy who loved me. Rated PG, parental guidance suggested. Okay, we're back for round two. Brad, 2023's, well, it used to be called The Covenant, but I guess that was getting confused with an old Rennie Harlan film from 2006. Yep. So So they had to call it Guy Ritchie's The Covenant. Yeah, the second film that he released this year, which also didn't do so hot, right? So you want to take us through that little journey? So we have a March release for Operation Fortune. Now we have an April release, April 21st of 2023. So the next month, uh, with a reported budget of $55 million, sadly, this thing makes $16.9 million domestically and 4.6 internationally for a grand total of $21.63 million. So this did worse. Way worse. Okay. Way worse. Um, we are looking at an opening weekend of $6.38 million. That's good enough for third place. And it gets beat by, gets beat up by two films, uh, the super Mario brothers movie and evil dead rise. Oh man. That's a, that's a heck of a weekend to have to, to release your movie. You're just, you're getting stomped. Unlike operation fortune. Uh, we do have a, why is it doing? Sorry. Are you having technical difficulties right now? Sorry, Troy. Yeah, here we go. Uh, It is uh, with the critics. We are looking at 83% with the critics. Oh, man. And with the audience, we are looking at 98% with the audience. They love it. Love this movie. Yeah. Um, Again, I will say someone who doesn't love this movie is Movie Guide. Oh, uh uh-oh. And once again, I will ask you. Oh, hit my music, Troy. Oh, I'm sorry. And you're going. Uh, guys, uh, we're looking at a, I'll just uh, kill the suspense here. It is a minus two. Extreme caution for older <laughs> teenagers and adults. Very strong moral worldview. Again, I don't, I don't know where they're coming up with this stuff. With strong redemptive elements, promotes patriotism, good conquering evil, sacrifice, moral duty, and holding to promises no matter the cost. A Taliban character makes an islamic reference to a false god and there is your islamophobia uh let's see <laughs> at least 21 f words uh violence of course we have strong war related violence no sex no nudity uh smoking let's see while on the verge of death two wounded men share a pipe of opium to mm-hmm. ease the pain yeah 
heaven forbid uh films you could have seen in april of 2023 we've already talked about it air the super mario brothers movie a movie called paint which is about uh what's his name uh uh what's his uh What's that guy's name who used to paint all the pretty trees? Oh, is that the uh, Bob Ross film? Bob Ross. There we go. Yeah. Was that, um, was that Owen Wilson? Owen Wilson. Okay. Yeah. We have uh, Mafia Mama, Renfield, The Pope's Exorcist, Evil Dead Rise, Bo is Afraid, Sinsu, Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret, and Big George of Foreman. We had a lot of horror movies come out at the oh, beginning yeah. of the year. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Good year for horror. Okay. Well, uh, guess what? Directed by Guy Ritchie. There you go. Screenplay <laughs> by Guy Ritchie, Ivan Atkinson, who also worked on the film we just talked about. A new name, Marn Davies. Uh, cinematographer, new cinematographer for this one, Ed Wilde. However, he used the same editor, James Herbert, on this film as well. So whereas Operation Fortune was really an ensemble cast, this starts off a little bit of as an, uh, of an ensemble with our military unit, but quickly this just becomes a movie about two gentlemen and primarily Jake Gyllenhaal as master Sergeant John Kinley and Dar Salim as Ahmed. Now real quick, we've, we've gosh, go back 170 some odd episodes. We talked about Jake when we talked about Zodiac on episode 12. Yep. He has an Oscar nomination for best supporting actor for Brokeback mountain. Hasn't won anything. Which is surprising. Um, I'm absolutely shocked by that. Yeah. I I gotta be honest with you too. Um, I don't know. I'll start with you, Nathan. What, what do you, I mean, this is billed as a Jake Gyllenhaal film. He he's, you know, he's all over this thing. What do you think about him generally as an actor? When you look back on his filmography, Uh, he seems to have a lot of range. I mean, when you think about the characters he's played throughout the years and you know, it's already, it was just mentioned that it's kind of a crime that he hasn't won an award at this point. Because he always puts in a solid performance. Uh, he's not quite a, a draw for me where if I see he's in it, I'm absolutely going to see it. But it actually increases, it absolutely increases the odds I will see the film. So, okay. What about it just you, Just doesn't guarantee it. I, I actually love Joan Hall. I, I think he does a lot of different stuff, a lot of weird stuff, you know, a really like kind of a movie that shouldn't work, like that Michael Bay ambulance film. Like he's really good in that. It makes that movie tolerable, which I actually kind of like that movie. Um, yeah, he's just got some weird stuff. Some of that neo-noir film, Nocturnal Animals, you know, Zodiac. We've already talked about, I think he's absolutely brilliant in Zodiac. Um, yeah, I, to just think about all the stuff he's been in, I think he's like one of the best actors working today. Like it, it, but he doesn't seem like he's as bankable as I would hope. Um, Cause this is definitely leaning on his star power. And I definitely think he's a star, but I don't know if that star power equates to financial success. Yeah, that's, that's accurate. I I've always liked him, but I got to say it was this combination of films from 2013 to 2014 that all of a sudden I was like, I will see anything this guy's in. And it was 2013's Prisoners, and then he followed that up oh. with uh, Nightcrawler in 2014. Yes, I think Prisoners is just amazing. Yeah, and th- those are two films where it's like, where where was all of the accolade for Jake on those two films? Uh, I think 
he's amazing. Um, I think, you know, I'll show my cards now. I think he's amazing in this film. Mm. But yeah, he's he's <laughs> definitely somebody that the minute he's attached to something, I've immediately uh, just it, it it floats to the top of the list of stuff I want to see. Right. I mean, he's been working since. I mean, I, I guess, you know, City Slickers was his first real film, but, you know, most people give it to like 2001 with Donnie Darko. Yeah. It yeah. was in October Sky before, but, but we'll say Donnie Darko in 2001. You know, that's 23, 22 years of just solid work every year. Um, you know, in 2013, he does Prisoners, he does Enemy, which, you know, is oh, yeah. crazy. Yeah. Night, and then you said Nightcrawler. I mean, it's just so much good stuff. Um, but, you know, he does have some sinkers too, like that Prince of Persia film. Not, not great. Yeah. Um, I feel like every time he does something that you're like, okay, he's on his way up broke back mountain, but then he does proof, which I think proof is like a snore fest. And you're like, why? <laughs> uh, like you're just right there. And then you kind of correct yourself, but like <laughs> source code, I think source code is a great, like sci-fi film end of watch. Yeah. Uh, I mean, even because it's a David air film is a little bit, you know, pro, you know, it's a little bit David Ayrish, but Joan Hall's excellent in that. I just think, I don't know, man. Why? I th- I think he's like, why is he not? I feel like he's five years away from just winning all the awards. Like I think something's so too, but coming then, along that it's just, he's, he's going to sweep. Like, on yeah, something. I hope so. Because like, I think he just needs his, we need to go back and like, apologize for Zodiac like all the way around like Zodiac <laughs> like the Academy should just be like hey we missed on Zodiac give it to Robert Downey give it to Jake Hall, give it to Fincher <laughs> give it the best picture well it wouldn't get best picture because it was 2007 but yeah I mean it's ridiculous ridiculous I but agree uh, it is what it is. even for Nightcrawler like he blew me away in Nightcrawler I, oh, I think yeah. Nightcrawler was the one where I'm like uh, I really want to see him play all the just villain roles from that. Yeah. On. He's good as a villain. Yeah. Um, well, minus that Spider-Man. Movie. He's okay in that. I mean, it, <laughs> yeah, but yeah. So, um, Dar Salim is Ahmed. I, I really know nothing about this guy's filmography goes back to 2003, but as I'm going through it, I, I mean, he's in a lot of stuff, both television and film, nothing that, um, I quite honestly, haven't seen outside of, I think it was on six episodes of game of Thrones or something. So, uh, this is, I think a pretty big deal for him, um, in terms of, uh, credentials on his resume. The only other name I just want to point out because it took me a minute to figure out, I'm like, man, I know that guy. And then it wasn't until after the film was over and, uh, it just dawned on me, but Anthony Starr shows up in the latter part of the film, almost in the third act. Oh yeah. He's almost unrecognizable, but you will know him from um, a series on Amazon called the boys. He plays Homelander. Yep. Which he's oh, amazing. Yeah, Cause that. he doesn't have his blonde hair. You're right. have that blonde That's hair. Right. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And you're like, Ooh, that face, that chiseled chin looks yep. so, I know that face. And uh, it finally dawned on me. Okay. So uh, not much on production and development um, with this one. So I want to, I want to start with you, Brad. Was this a first time watch for you on the covenant? Had you seen this before? I I had seen it before and I, you didn't ask me before, but I, you had texted me as soon as you left operation fortune that you loved it. And so I watched that one too. So I've seen both of these. Oh, okay. Uh, cool. Cool. Um, this one, I have to say 
I think is an absolutely brilliant film. Um, I was completely blown away. I, I do, you know, we're getting old enough now where like the Afghan war, the war on terror, um, all this stuff is, is kind of becoming our, uh, Vietnam and we're getting all these films about it. Uh, this one might be up there as one of the best, um, kind of post nine 11 war films that we've had. June Hall is amazing. Um, the, the way it starts off and you think it's going to be like this ensemble film with all these characters, you're going to get to know all these guys. And immediately that is completely not the case. Um, and it is basically, uh, you know, you think, okay, now it's going to be this film where, where these guys have to get back to the base. And then he gets back to the base with like an hour left in the film. And you're like, okay, what's the next hour. And then it becomes this deal where, you know, he has to kind of make good on the promises that he made. And, it's just, I, when I was talking about Guy Ritchie maturing as a filmmaker, this is what I'm talking. Like this film is of a guy who completely understands how to make a film and he makes a film. Um, I look, man, I finished this compl- like, and then immediately told my brother uh, to watch it. And he absolutely loved it. And I've told so many people that like, Hey, if you have two hours and you're okay with like war films, watch this because it is absolutely amazing. It'll blow you away. And I haven't had a single person come back to me and said, hey, you were lying. That movie was terrible. Everyone has come back and said that they loved it. I I don't know, man. Th- th- this thing is going balls to the wall, but then it's got a great, like this is like when I was talking about Operation Story, not having Operation Fortune, not having a great story, I was sadly kind of comparing it to this because this thing is so tight and so well done. That one doesn't really hold up when you're comparing the two. I think this one is so much better and it might be because I I just enjoy this genre a little bit more. So is it, Uh, is it fair to say though, in, in fairness, operation fortune is a spy movie. Yeah. And they're not, they're not going for the same things, right? Yeah. This, this is if, if we're, like using different terminology, it's a film that is really trying to tackle some big themes on like the human condition and specifically like um, the, the bond that is created through it's a very male centric film. I mean, and I want to bring that up. Like there's a moment where you could have a wet blanket of a wife character. She comes in and says like, no, if you want to do this, you're going to go do this now and yeah, make it yeah. right. And you're like, amen. Like that, I didn't would, expect that, that would be how it, what I didn't expect. Like you're, you're absolutely well, right. I didn't think about it though. Like she is used to this guy having to leave and, and kind of do what's right because he's a military guy and he gets deployed and like, that's what they do. And he's a man of his word. So it, I like, did. Yeah. Well, let me, let me rephrase it. I didn't expect it in a Hollywood film. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yes. You're right. You're right. You're right. <laughs> that's, um, that's better way of saying it. I am such like an anti wet blanket, like female character person, because like, ugh, I don't know. I just yeah. hate that stereotype. Um, but yeah, Troy, I, I absolutely love this movie. I am enthralled with it. I had been recommending it to so many people. Um, I, yeah, it, it didn't make my list of top five for the year because I, I didn't really want to spoil it, but it's one of my favorites of the year. Okay. All right, Nate, what about you? Did you have the same reaction? 
Yeah, I mean, this this one hits hard and it's intense. It tackles some huge themes. I mean, it even escalates to, you know, foreign policy and, you know, what does it mean to make promises and make sacrifices to pay off debts and make good on those promises? And back to, to what Brian was saying about the wife scene, like, you would expect in a Hollywood movie that they insert some conflict between the spouses just because that's the beat that they want to hit. And they actually, I think it comes away much, much better for not having followed that trope. Uh, just Hall does an amazing job of portraying just it, it's agony. It's really just agony. And he's made it home alive, realizes he shouldn't be alive and he has this debt that's unpaid and he is just running his head against the wall, trying to figure out how to solve this problem until he finally finds a way that it's riskier, but it's a way that might actually make good on the, the promises that not only that he's made, but he feels like the government has made as well. So, yeah, um, it's, <laughs> it's just I lo- I astoundingly love, well done. It's, I love frustrated Joe and all too. I love frustrated Joe. Yes. <laughs> He might be one of the best actors of being like frustrated and pissed off. Is is there a movie? Uh, and I'm I'm trying to think about this because one of one of the I agree with everything you guys have said, but one of the things that struck me as odd was it does a really good job of representing the bureaucracy of modern government, just modern government. Yeah. Um, and I I. I I think you're hundred percent right, Brad, when you go, wow, I, I really like seeing a frustrated Jake Gyllenhaal. You, you don't, you don't wish that for anybody, mm-hmm. but you get to see him, you know, act against all of that. But I got to say just that part of the film and what he has to go through, it feels so accurate, which is, uh, it's ridiculous. Like to your point, I didn't expect the wife to act the way that she did. I expected a Hollywood wife. Um, I expected a bit more of a man on a mission thing. I didn't expect, you know, this whole segment of bureaucracy red ta- yeah, red of tape. red tape. And it's like, why, why do these things exist in a film in, in a different director or, or screenwriter's hands? I think those elements would have dragged the movie to a complete halt. Mm-hmm. But I think Richie and, and his cadre of screenwriters, do a really good job of making that um, just ratchet up the tension and the frustration. And when you get to the third act, it really elevates the payoff of everything. Yeah. It's really hard to, to show dedication through a guy sitting on the telephone for three and a half. Yes. (laughs) And even make a phone call interesting, right? Like it's not, not just one phone call, multiple phone calls over and over and over. Yeah. Well, I mean, how many times have you just wanted to grab a bottle of whiskey, start drinking while you're on listening to that hold music on something? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> if you've ever had to try to call the IRS, I mean, Ugh. there's seven hours of your day just completely gone. So for nothing. Yeah. Hey, look, I look, if we're making a case for why Guy Ritchie is one of the best directors working right now, I would put exhibit A, Operation Fortune, and exhibit B, The Covenant. And just go look at a year where a director within a month of each other comes out with two films, entirely different tones. And I think he nails them both. Um, This is a better quality film in terms of its story and thematic elements. I think they're both equally amazing, but this one hits it. It hits hard. 
Dude, yeah. some of those overhead shots that they do in this is just unbelievable because it helps you give you the scale and yeah. the landscape and uh-huh. just the danger. It, yeah. yeah. There's there's that sequence of him just walking around the house, and it is incredibly tense, and it feels like it just goes on a little bit longer than a typical scene would in a film. And then when the event happens, it totally surprises you, and you still don't know what is kind of going on or where it's coming from. Um, but that whole sequence again is just, there's, there's all these amazing sequences uh, in terms of like dramatic thrills when they're, they have this huge shootout at the IAD factory. Um, and then you get this whole sequence of them escaping and, and basically doing what looks like something out of police story with them falling down a, a mountainside pretty much. Yeah. Uh, which or is hot rod or hot rod. Yeah. I guess that'd be a better comparison. <laughs> yeah. Um, and and it's it's practical. It's some amazing stunt work. The way he films it, you fill every tree that they hit and rock. Uh, and then it leads up to this just amazing climatic showdown on this dam, which you know you're like, okay, this is a Hollywood film. Jake Gyllenhaal, he, he's got to make it out of this. But there are moments when you're like, they're not making it out of this at all. Yeah, maybe maybe they don't. Maybe, maybe they don't. Yeah. Maybe, maybe we're yeah. getting a depressing you know film here, but. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a crowd pleaser kind of um, journey that surprises me with how much depth it has. It has a lot of depth, to be quite yeah, honest. I I wanted to circle back because we learned pretty quickly. Joan Hall is is pretty high up and, and a pretty powerful guy in the military, um, and so you think he can get all this stuff done, ordering guys around and being in charge, and then you cut back to when he needs something while he's out and at home and even him, he's completely powerless. He had all this power when he was, you know, in the military and in charge. And then it shows just how powerless he is. So even with all that power given, you know, he can't get stuff done. So just think about all the hundreds of thousands of people who didn't have any sort of, you know, they were just, you know, grunts essentially what it would yeah. take for them to get stuff done. So if he is having all this much trouble, just imagine someone else. And I think that really was a, was a point to me. I was like, man, he is like a powerful guy and he can't even get this stuff. I, I don't know if he's power. It's, it's interesting. You say that I, if you look at his, um, his rank, he's not powerful by title, but he's powerful by influence in his deeds. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, so there's a reference that he even saved like the Colonel's life at one point. So mm-hmm. You, you get the feeling that the reason why he he has that much pull is because of the influence that he has among the base and all the people that he worked with. Yeah. And, you know, they could be really heavy handed with all the the you owe me. So, you know, now you're going to do this for me. And I mean, they do lean on that just a little bit, but it all works in the service of, of the plot. Like at the very end, you learn that you know, kind of that detail that he helped save the Colonel and now the Colonel owes him. And because, you know, the movie is about a covenant and about, you know, an agreement, like he comes through with the guy and gets the visa. So it's like you doing me a solid because I did you a solid and this other guy solid. So, you know, we're all, we're all kind of closing this loop that, you know, we are keeping to our word and and doing what we're supposed to, to make sure we make things right. Well, I, I agree. I think, I think it, I think it goes deeper than that too. So I, 
I find it really interesting. You have one person, Jake Gyllenhaal, his whole motivation for what he's doing is to survive. It is a job and Mm -hmm. it is a job that he wants to do very well and actually show a result. Um, and, and really fight the Taliban. Right. So, but he, he also wants to get back to his family. He wants to survive. He wants to make an impact on the war, but he wants to get back to his family. You have another gentleman for it's a job as well, but it's not just about survival for him. It's survival for his entire family, because if he does his job really well, he gets the visa and he gets to escape the Taliban who murdered his son. And so he's got this dual purpose of the job serves as his survival to leave that country, but it almost also serves as a little bit, there's, I don't want to call it a subplot, but there's this tinge of revenge to it as well. Yeah. Um, and he's, and he's branded a traitor at some point, mm-hmm. uh, just by, you know, succeeding and saving Jake Gyllenhaal and becoming this folk hero. But I think, I think it's this, you know, it's very easy to look at this film and say, well, the covenant is, is in reference to this bond that he has to Jake Gyllenhaal, Jake Gyllenhaal has to him, et cetera. But there's also these other covenants or, or layers that pop up between them and their family, um, their country, everything else. I mean, I was really surprised within this runtime to have all of that stuff kind of show itself without being very preachy. Um, and, and it's all done through just these little exchanges, lines of dialogue, things that you learn about characters, even through their actions. Um, and it's one of those films that, man, I, I think it's going to get lost. Like the fact it came out in April, um, it, it's not going to get any critical awards or anything of that nature. I think people have forgotten about it and that's a shame. Like there's, there's a lot more to this thing than just a really cool war drama. Yeah, it's yeah. currently on Amazon Prime, and it's been on Prime for a while. I wonder if it would get any sort of legs there. But yeah, I haven't heard many people talk about this at all. It didn't even get a 4K release. It it got no, Blu-ray only. only. Blu-ray. Yeah, yeah, which which was surprising. Operation finally got a 4K release, but this one hasn't gotten there yet. Hmm. I, I'm wondering if this is just a film that five, ten years from now, people are going to go... Hey, remember this amazing film that came out? And then it's just, I don't want to call it a cult film, but it gets its its notoriety or its appreciation. It, it feels like Guy Ritchie just has those films. Like they're a little bit ahead of its time. They're they're probably not released in the in the right context. Um, the right schedule. It it gets, I don't know, Super Mario Brothers, Evil Dead Rise. People are gonna go see that stuff versus this. Yeah. yeah. Well, then I think this was called the interpreter for a long time and then they changed the name. And so you, and then they had to change the name. Well, not change the name, but add guy Richie's part to it. Cause you didn't want to confuse it with the, the Rennie Harlan film. So there was a lot of stuff stacked against this. And I, you know, like are people, are people tired of these type of films about, you know, cause there's a part at the very end of this is like, Hey, we got out of Afghanistan. And then a week later, the Taliban took over and you know, that's, that's still killed the translators. Yeah. It was still relatively new and people, you know, whatever your opinion on how we pulled out of a Afghanistan, like that's still going on in people's minds and whether or not we should have done it and how did we do it? And who's at fault and blah, blah, blah. I mean, that stuff's like still on fresh on people's minds. So Maybe yeah. when we get away from that, people Maybe. might look back on this a little bit 
I, better and say, hey, we missed this, but it's actually a brilliant film. I mean, could the same be said for Vietnam era films? Like what was in World War II? Like what was the timing of those films versus the end of the, those conflicts? I mean, a lot of a lot of Vietnam films came out in the 80s. I yeah. mean, we look at like. Yeah, so. You know, so we're not even a decade removed yet. So are we a decade? No, early? but this conflict was much. I mean, was, <laughs> this went on for like twenty years. So. Well, yeah. this has been going on longer. <laughs> yes, but I don't know. I, I think when you see something like this, um, you know, fifty-five. I, I was also surprised between both films only costing fifty-five million because I think I think every dollar is on screen, if not more. Like if if you had told me they cost more, I wouldn't have been surprised. Mm-hmm. I, it. It's it's really interesting. I don't know if people are like, okay, we're getting into an election year next year, and it's already started this year. And when you see a film like The Covenant, you go, oh, it's about the war. If people are going, you know, I'm I'm really not wanting to get into something that's preachy, or um, they they don't want something that's so rah rah, like, oh, look at we kicked everybody's butt over there, versus oh, it was a huge mistake. We shouldn't have. Not, I mean. I think this one, I, I, I agree with you guys. It probably wasn't going to hit the general public as something they wanted to rush out and see because they might look at the trailer and might assume something other than it is. Yeah. I mean, it's yeah. to- like you're talking about politically. It toes the line really well. Like it doesn't yeah. feel like it's on and, either side because it's about. And how men. do you, how do you market a film like that? So you don't feel like it's going to come off preachy because I think so many people have been burnt by by films, they're like, "Oh, if this is going to be preachy, I have no, I, I, I don't want to see this." Is where people land. Yeah, I, I mean, it's a solid action film first and foremost. Uh, but yeah, I, I agree with you. It toes the line, but it, it does so because it concentrates on two men, two men yeah. and their families, and it leads into Guy Ritchie's one of his strong suits is that's the chemistry between characters, and it's on, yeah. it's on full display in this one. Yeah, I that that's a great point. I, I really like the fact that. It's just a guy film. I mean, not that women can't enjoy it. I think they would, you know, anybody will get a lot out of it. But what's amazing is uh, I I hate saying this because I, I sound like old white guy, but because <laughs> I am, um, I do miss some of like the Westerns and stuff like that, that little subgenre of men on a mission kind of talking to um, sort of the what you would call the guy principle like this, this tackles that right. How important is it for a man to uphold his word mm-hmm. and follow through with that? And like you said, it's not, it doesn't have a romance angle to it. There's a bromance angle, a bromance angle to it. 100%. But it is really kind of talking to a very simplistic story of one man's journey to help another man. And then that man's reciprocating journey to help, the person who helped him very simplistic in plot, not a lot of politics there, even though it's underlying, but it's just, it's a guy film. It really speaks to sort of that men on a mission and what does it take to get through that? Yeah. I think it's important to distinguish the fact that like, just because a, a film about men upholding their word and having a strong bond and all that stuff doesn't mean that other people are like, you know, that a female film couldn't work like this, but this is just a story that they're telling uh, is these two men coming together and, you know, one man saving another man's life and then 
the other man kind of repaying him and getting him out of danger uh, could kind of uphold his promise as well. So you're right. I, you know, this one to see the growth because I like lock sock and snatch a, a lot. I still think they're, they're good early nineties films and they play on that independent cinema that we came to fall in love with from the nineties. But then you look at this, like almost, you know, 30 years later and you're like, this guy has matured and has potential to make a kind of a bombastic film, but have these small character moments that really hit. And like we've talked about, like the wife character, even their small amount of screen time together, so much chemistry between the two of them um, that it really works. And you really believe their relationship and you really believe that she supports him. Um, you know, him and the, uh, the commander that he saved, like they have a good connection and that works, even though it's kind of antagonist a little bit um, just because, you know, he has to still fall in line a bit, but you know, all, all of the relationships in this work and you look you know, at the guy from early nineties, you're like, man, I don't know if he could have pulled that off then, but he can definitely pull it off now. That's guy. Richie, of course, is what I'm talking about, but yeah, it really works. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. There's, there's not authenticity. And that, and that, and I guess that's what I'm trying to say is by not <laughs> me calling this a guy film and saying, well, women can't make a film like this. Et cetera. No. I, I'm, I, I'm not it's saying that at all. Made. <laughs> yeah. It's just a, there's an authentic voice that exists here from guy Ritchie, from jake gyllenhaal's uh performance from um i can't even remember his name now uh dar salim his his performance is fantastic i think yeah we, uh, we haven't sent his praises enough he is just as good as gyllenhaal gyllenhaal yeah yeah I'll, I'll say this that whole sequence or montage of him pushing that cart up the mountain it's yes. grueling. And just the anguish that he's going through and the talk the, about uh, acting and the determination with yeah, your expression, your face, your body, your entire emotion without saying a word. He is amazing through that. But it, it's also amazing too. Like there's a backstory with that character that they don't go into. Like he's more than meets the eye. Cause like he's really good with a gun. He's really, mm-hmm. you know, he's got some really stuff good with on. a knife. Yeah. There's like, yeah, there's some stuff going on there that they don't go into. They don't yeah. need to go into cause you just see flashes of it, but it definitely works yeah. and it gives the character some mystery. Well, he, I miss that. I miss mystery and characters where you don't need to know everything about a character. I love that line yeah. where, you know, Hall calls him a translator. He goes, no, I'm an interpreter. Yeah. Um, there's so many good lines in here. Nathan, you were talking about this. Um, with Hall's performance, it, it is pretty damn masterful, but especially in the back end, when you see him plagued with that guilt and he talks about, I'm the man who gets no rest, that that whole speech, which mm-hmm. leads to a speech about paying your debts with the colonel. And then, the you know, I want to talk about the final shot of this film. Seeing, to me, this is just like Hall acting at his best. But watching the events unfold, watching them both sit on the plane, both of them just give this acknowledgement, and then watching that debt just lift off his shoulders and him take mm-hmm. that sigh of relief, and then how it leads into sort of the the title card of the film now shows up at the end. Yeah. Uh, Hall is fantastic in this thing. Just have, They're both fantastic. They play yeah. off each other so well. Yeah, it wouldn't be as good if they didn't have that chemistry. 
No. The, oh, absolutely. Yeah, there's this thing where you get the feeling they re- – <laughs> Here, here's the other thing is it's not that they have a bromance now, but they have this gained respect because they both sort of fulfilled their part of the contract. They may not like each other, to be quite honest, but they they came through for each other, and there's just that understanding of it, and it's as simplistic mm-hmm. as that. But yet, even in its simplicity, there's all this complexity on how they got there, which is pretty amazing. Yep. Yeah. Uh, I'm with you. I, I think it's one of the best films of the year, to be quite honest. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, okay. Well, Nate, I'm going to ask you the same question. Was uh, The Covenant a bomb or not? No. Criminally not a bomb. Okay. Brad? Not not even close. Okay. Not a bomb. Yeah. I agree with you. 100%. Wow. Well, six for six today. I know. <laughs> well, let's get to the interesting part. So one of the things we teased was... We were going to share um, some of our favorite films of this year, but also some of our least favorite movie-going experiences, I guess. And uh, we all decided to do a top five and a bottom five. But you also put a poll out there, right, Brad? Do you have some of the answers of people? I will have that next week. Oh, next week? We're still gathering, yes. Okay. So are we just going to round robin this and start with like maybe the top five and then go to the bottom five? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, you want uh, our guests to go first? Of course. Guests always go first. So, right. Nate, what is your fifth favorite film of the year? I really struggled putting these in order, and I was actually trying to cheat the system by coming up with a, this is my favorite movie of this genre, and this genre, and this genre. Oh, my God, but I, yeah. I, I do believe I've got it down to a, a five. I In uh, a no random order. Oh, hold on. Before we start. to do the same thing. Yeah. So, let's talk about this for a second. <laughs> We all struggled, I assume, on the top five. Is that? Yeah, I had like 25 oh, yeah, films yeah. that I wanted to put on my top five. Okay. Yeah. All right. I'm not alone then. Um, yeah. And the other reason I struggle with that is because if I'm in the mood for a comedy, I'm going to lower rank a drama. It, it, so I really struggle saying, here's the best comedy versus the best drama. Which is the better film? Because they each offer something different. Yeah, so. I couldn't do it. I'll be honest. Yeah. When I get to my list, I'll show you. I'll tell you what I did. But I... I'm glad you brought that up because uh, this list is a week in the making, to be quite honest. <laughs> but all right, Nate, what's your number five? So you did an all-in sort of the top yeah, five of every yeah. genre. Okay, and, and I also we... have I also have honorable mentions. <laughs> okay, before we start, is there any notable films that you want to say you did not get to see that you really wanted to to you know, and they possibly could have made your list? Yes, yes, yes. So I think. Um, on that list is Killer, Killers of the Flower Moon. I still have not seen that one. Okay. Uh, the Holdovers is also on my list. Uh, Poor Things has been highly recommended uh, by several people. And then uh, The Boy and the Heron, I think, okay. is uh, the Miyazaki kind of bio. Do you, do you have some? So, those are ones that I did not see that I, I either ran out of time or timing just didn't work out and I missed yeah. them. So, okay. What about you, Brad? What were the ones? Yeah, you- I have poor things, past lives and the holdovers. Okay. I have uh poor things, the iron claw, the holdovers and, um, is it saltburn? Was that? Oh yes. Yes. Yeah. Saltburn. Yeah. I wanted to see that one, but I'll, I'll get there. Okay. Nate, number five, we're what's, what, when are you going to rep for? Uh, let's go with totally. I don't know what. Nope. 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 Sorry. Wrong list. 
This is one that really surprised me because uh, it's got Jim Gaffigan in it, and it is a comedy drama called Linoleum. Linoleum. Okay. Ooh, I haven't yes. seen that. I haven't yeah. even heard of that. I, I forgot to ask you. Uh, I know. I know you go to the film festival out in your area. Did, were any of the top five were? Did they come from the film festival, or this just outside? Uh, I do have one in my top list that is from the film festival. Yes. Okay. All right. Because that's also dependent. Sometimes in the film festival, they've had a release like uh, Everything Went Fine was a 2021 release that was at the festival this year. That was a French film that I really enjoyed that would have made my top five. But it's 2020 release. But then also at the festival, they don't they're shopping around to get a release. So they don't always get released in the year that you see it in the festival. So, oh, OK. All right. Brad, what's your number five? Well, you've already brought it up. Uh, my number five is The Iron Claw. About the Von Eric family. Um, it is a family drama wrapped in a sports film. Um, it is gut wrenching. That's all I'm going to say. So if you don't know about the Von Eric family, it's a pretty tragic story, but it is a amazing film. I hope Zach Efron gets kind of his, his, his comments up for that. Cause his performance is good. So is Jeremy white. I mean, all the performances are really good. So yep. The iron claw. So is I it- just got, I just got that in too. Did uh, I'm I, I'm going to see it this evening actually? Um, is it a movie? So I've ha- I had some people ask me this because I I know of the family, um, and I haven't seen it yet. But is it a film that you can appreciate without being a wrestling fan? Absolutely, absolutely, yes. Because okay. the story, the the reason it works is because the story is so, it's so good and so tragic that the wrestling is is kind of there. Like it, you know, it, it's first the family drama before a sports film. Before a wrestling film. Does that make sense? It does. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, so I gave up on trying to do a top five across the board because (laughs) I got to be honest with you. When I'm sitting there looking at something like Killers of the Flower Flower Moon or Oppenheimer and saying, well, how do I rank that against Godzilla minus one? That is the, and those are three films right out of the gate that I would say are, are some of the top movies of this year, all varying different genres, quality, not quality. They're all of the same quality. It's just, how do you, how do you rank Godzilla versus Scorsese? Depends, I guess, on your mood. So I went you through my, pick, you just pick one. I know, I, but I couldn't. Um, <laughs> that's how top five works, Troy. You gotta I know. Make so what I, what I did was I go, okay, let me go through my list. And what was the genre that I was most impressed with this year? Um, I'm an action junkie and in most years I'll find a couple of movies where I'm like, yeah, it was a pretty good year. I feel like 2023, when I looked at my favorite films of this year, there were a ton of very good action adventure films. Um, so my top five is specifically the top five of 2023 action edition or kicking people in the face, whatever you want to call it. So number five, it was going to be the covenant to be quite honest, because I do love that film, but I'm going to have to put in something that is near and dear to my heart that I had a lot of fun with at the theater. It was technically a box office bomb. And, um, I think people would look at this, um, IP and go, yeah, I'm not into that. I think I'm going to avoid that one. And, and you shouldn't, but it's, um, dungeons and dragons honor among thieves. I had an absolute blast with that one. Uh, not just because I love D and D, 
but I think from an action adventure sort of sword and sorcery type film, it did a great job of bringing that genre to the forefront. And again, you get some amazing performances, some great comedic performances, especially from Hugh Grant. And uh, it's it's a franchise, and by franchise, I mean the sword and sorcery stuff, like the Conan, the Barbarians, the the Red Sonja, et cetera. It's a franchise I would love to see get a comeback in in movie theaters, and I was really hoping this would start that. Doesn't look like it's gonna. Um, I sequel still possible. Sequels. Chris Pine yeah. still keeps talking about sequel, but again, it's. I think it's a great looking film. It's well made. It's a lot of fun. I saw it a few times in the theater. Uh, and, um, I, I, I think it's a blast. And if, and if you love D and D it's even better because the, the stuff that's hidden in there, especially from the cartoon series that was in the eighties. Ah, oh, it's amazing. So that was my number five. All right, Nate, your number four. All right. My number four, I will just pick another random one. <laughs> uh, a noir or adjacent to noir was a reptile. Uh, just reminded me a lot of a true detective. It's just a hard, hard boiled crime drama, and it just gets deeper and deeper. Um, so I really enjoyed it. I didn't. I, it's on my list. I have not watched that one yet. Did you see that, Brad? I have not. No. All right. Well, now I got to go back and and uh, push that up to the top. Brad, your number four. My number four is a Miyazaki film. <laughs> I knew. It is the the boy and the heron. It's uh, yeah. I. You know, it's again kind of family drama. Boy's mother has died, or does she? Um, beautifully animated, beautifully done. I, I'm a sucker for Miyazaki. Studio Ghibli is like one of my favorite mm-hmm. studios. So it did not disappoint, and it seems to be doing quite well. So I'm very happy that that film has caught on. So how did how? So Miyazaki is one of those where we've talked about this before. Part of the fun of going to the to the movies is just seeing that image on a huge screen, right? Mm-hmm. And I've seen a couple of his films on the big screen. Like Spirited Away blew me away when I when I saw it theatrically. Yeah. How was this as a theater going experience? Oh, amazing. Like, yeah, it's it's they're just getting better. Like if you were blown away by Spirited Away, you would this this one will absolutely blow you away. So make time for it. See it. It's uh, you know, sadly Miyazaki, I he was supposed to retire. Um, and then he's doing this and then I think he's doing another one, but he's, you know, he sadly doesn't have forever. So see these while he is still alive and still cranking out some of the greatest films of all time. Awesome. Uh, okay. My number four of we're talking about things blown up or people getting kicked in the face. Uh, so Netflix, I think now is of the business model where before something gets released on a limited theatrical run, it will show in the theaters. Uh, most recently, I think they did that with um, Fincher's The Killer, stuff like that. So there's this little movie that came out during the summer, and I missed it when it was showing like the few nights that it was playing at the theater, but managed to catch it on Netflix. I, I really enjoyed the first one, loved it. I was not expecting them to do a sequel. And in fact, when I saw that they're doing the sequel, I'm like, well, what are you going to do? Is are you just going to have some of the same gimmicks, et cetera? Surprisingly, they take what was successful in the first one and ratchet it up a notch. And I'm talking about Extraction 2. That movie um, is an action junkie's delight. So there is, 
if everybody in extraction talks about sort of like this one shot sequence that occurs, right? Which it's not really one shot in the car chase. Yeah. yeah. Extraction. Guess what? None of the wonders are really wonders. Yeah. They're they're all. Yeah. And so you go, well, okay, they're, they're going to do the same thing and you know, you're waiting for that gimmick, but when it does happen, and I'm talking about a prison breakout sequence that goes on to the train, train, <laughs> you don't even realize that it's still kind of one because you're just so into the action sequence. And that's in the middle of the freaking movie because. And those are the best ones, right? The ones that you think, wait a minute, after it's done, you're like, wait a minute, did they ever cut that? that? Yeah. 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 Um, and, and it still has miles and miles of just in your face action to go because i i love even the third act of this thing um but extraction two was a blast and uh i i gotta i gotta be honest i was really um not expecting the sequel to to be better than the first one to be quite honest and it is better yeah and i want to see those in the theater like i'm glad they're being made because i don't know if if without netflix if the first one gets made but yeah like chris hemsworth would be so huge as an action star if that movie was in the theater i, I agree it is like it, it he's so good in them um and i think he deserves those to to blow up but sadly they're on netflix and they're doing well but if it was a 250 you know million dollar grossing film he'd be huge i think that i think that thing kind of got a disservice if it if it was released given the summer we had uh, if that thing was released in the summer, I think it would have done gangbusters in comparison. I mean, it's one to of my else. most anticipated films of the year. Yeah. So, yeah. So, all right. Well, what's your number three, Nate? Uh, picking another one out of the hat. I am going to go with Saltburn. Ooh. Um, it's gorgeous. It's interesting as hell. Um, emphasizes that people are broken no matter their up- upbringing. Everyone's bringing some baggage to relationships. Um, it's a must watch again for me, for sure. So awesome. That's one that, uh, everybody who's seen it has really repped pretty hard for it. Uh, I can't wait to see that one. All right, Brad, what is your number three? Uh, so my number three is killers of the flower moon. Um, I love Scorsese, so I was going to love this movie, but I was actually blown away by just how good it was. Um, and how good, you know, DiCaprio, guess what? Robert, you know, DiCaprio's good. Robert De Niro's good. Uh, the the lady who plays, you know, Lily uh, Gladstone is amazing in it. So all the performances are great. Scorsese knows how to direct a film. Um, I, I hear, I hear that, good things about that guy. I hear he's oh, yeah, good. he's going somewhere. Um, <laughs> you know, it's a two hour and or a two hundred and like six minute movie, so it's long, but it doesn't feel the runtime. Um, it's so good. I think it's now streaming on Apple plus. So if you can sit there and, and watch it, uh, I, I would do so. Yeah. We saw it in the theater like three weeks after, uh, it, it debuted and it was still packed, which yep. was nice. Um, well, nice. it costs $200 million. It will not make its money back. Uh, so maybe at some <laughs> point in time we can talk about that. Yeah. You, I, I thought you talked about it with, um, the watch Sammy? plus guys. I did or, not. I talked about, no, oh, Sammy. Did. Oh, so we can talk about it. Awesome. Yeah. All right. <laughs> cool. All right. Well, Sammy and I are different people, Troy. I know we look quite a, quite a bit. You're alike, both but. ruggedly <laughs> handsome. That's my problem. Um, both have beards. Yeah. Yeah. Mine, yeah. yeah, mine yeah. Uh, okay. Number three, no surprise here. John wick chapter four. 
I mean, it's got Donnie in. It's got Donnie in. Um, some sequences might go on a little bit longer than they should. And I'm thinking about Keanu Reeves with the nunchucks. Um, way too many um, henchmen in that one. But man, you cannot deny from start to finish. And this is another three hour film. And it doesn't feel like Killers of the Flower Moon didn't feel like three hours. I was so engrossed into it. This is the same thing. Uh, and that overhead camera sequence for that action sequence in the room with the shotgun was freaking brilliant. What I what I really love this year about um, these action films I'm talking about is each one managed not just to kind of have some fun elements with its action, but it presents it in a very unique and visual way that in some cases you hadn't seen before. So this John Wick chapter four sequence, I've watched this film like three times this year. And every time you get to that sequence, I am still blown away in terms of how they filmed it and the choreography with it. And um, I think this is one of the best uses of Donnie Yen in an American film, hands down. He's fantastic in this thing. Agreed. I think that also is a great example of doing choreography and having an action set piece also tell you things about the character, like the, like the stair scene. Yeah. Like, that also tells a story about John Wick through the action set piece. And you need to do that with those. It's brilliant. I, and the ending, perfect ending. Like, don't ruin it, folks. Just don't ruin it. Don't ruin it. <laughs> Let's leave it. Joy, in. Spoiler alert. They're going to ruin it. Probably. They better not. <laughs> it just better stay at chapter four. Okay. All right, Nate, we're down to your top two. What are you going to pick for number two? Um, I will go with a horror film called Consecration. Um, just fun and atmospheric film. Um, just really a good, solid horror movie. And I love the soundtrack. I'm a sucker for good soundtracks. Um, either it's music I like or it just sets the mood and the tone of the film correctly. I, I'm just a sucker for that kind of stuff. And I felt Consecration was one of those that did that. So Awesome. Okay. I, okay did, was that in the theater? Uh well, and I wanted to discuss this with you guys. If it's only released on streaming, is oh, it no. considered that's a fine. 2023 release? Yeah, um, and fine. I'm trying to remember that might have been uh, Amazon or Netflix direct one. We'll, we'll allow. We'll allow. Oh, absolutely. I mean, if 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 <laughs> top ten movie for me, it might it might have had a really short theatrical window, but it's it was a Shutter film. It was it Where Evil Lurks or that one? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. I, I think. Oh, wait. It, when evil when, lurks, when evil lurks, there's a yeah. W no. word and then evil lurks. Yeah, that one. Um, yes, that, that was yeah. When evil lurks, yeah, yeah. When evil lurks, I that one was really close to my, being in my top five. Yeah, yeah. All mm-hmm. right, Brad, number two. Well, I mean, I feel like I'm getting down to the end here and starting to say some obvious ones, but I'm going to go with Oppenheimer, uh, the three-hour biopic about uh, Mr. Oppenheimer himself, J. Robert Oppenheimer. You know, it made almost a billion dollars. Um, I'm so happy amazing. that I got to see Killers of the Flower Moon and Oppenheimer in the same year. Adult cinema uh, is back. Adult like themed cinema. Not like, <laughs> it's like, wait, wait, wait. What <laughs> list are you pulling fucking, from? Yeah. Wait, wait, uh, one of those never left. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, I, I didn't love like Napoleon, but I still appreciate that they're making uh, a films for the adult audience. So yeah, Oppenheimer yeah. was one of the biggest films of the year. Um, Cillian Murphy doesn't win best actor for that film. I don't know what he's got to do, but we will see. So <laughs> Oppenheimer, my number uh, two. Ooh. Okay. 
Well, listen, if you know me and you know uh, my love of action films, my number two and number one are not going to be a surprise. This is where I really struggle um, because this morning they were switched. This afternoon they switched again. Um, Then before the show, I switched them and we're just going with what I got right now. So number two is the third film in the Crime City series. And it is none other than the Roundup No Way Out with Don Lee himself. So you would think that watching Don Lee just box and punch guys through walls would, on the third film, not be entertaining. It It is way more entertaining than you think. Um, I love The Outlaws. I love The Roundup. I love this film. And what makes these films so good when you're talking about just action uh, is they've got a great crime story. Each one's different. And if you if you know Don Lee, he's just this intimidating guy. Personally, I know Don Lee personally. Oh, you do? Man, no, yeah. you're so lucky. But <laughs> he's, he's one of my favorite actors out there right now. He is pure charisma and charm on screen. But what they do great about these films is they always have a villain or a bad guy that is equally intimidating, maybe not in size, but in either viciousness um, or just intensity. And so for this version, you get Don Lee versus the Yakuza and Dirty Cops. So you get a, a, a Yakuza boss wielding a samurai sword, slicing people up, and then you get this um, just... <laughs> totally uncouth, vicious, um, dirty cop. And he has to him and his team of cops that he works with, who are also great. The supporting cast in these films are, are fantastic too. They go up against these. And, um, apparently they're, so this one teases a fourth one that's supposed to come out in 2024. Uh, and they're contracted to make like a total of eight of them with some spinoffs. So it's one of the most popular series in Korea. If when this thing actually hits stateside, the John Wick of Korea, right? It is. Well, <laughs> yeah, it is. It is the John Wick of Korea. Um, but yeah, the the Roundup series uh, is fantastic. But if you haven't seen the Outlaws, go watch that. That's the first one. Roundup is the second one, and the new one, which um, I don't think it has an official release yet on home media but it'll be the roundup no way out and um i think the first country that just had its pre-books up is a 4k in germany you can find that on amazon um deutschland there you go all right nate number one uh another top five for me is one that i saw at the film festival watched again uh, again this past weekend and it is smoking causes coughing Oh. Uh, it's a French film. <laughs> it's hilarious. It's great fun. Uh, the quickest way I can, I guess, describe it is Amazon Women on the Moon or Kentucky Fried Chicken, the movie, plus Meet the Feedles. Wow. Made by French people. I've seen so, the trailer. The trailer is bonkers. Uh, yeah, it's a fun bonkers film that it, even watching it the second time, I was like, oh, yeah, I forgot about that. And just rolling. And my wife is probably like, what the hell is he doing? <laughs> That's uh that may have to be a group watch between you and I, Brad, when we get together. Yeah, I'm I'm curious to see that. Okay, I, I'd fly out just to to watch it with you fellas because it, <laughs> it's that much fun. Awesome. Well, we're definitely watching that the next time I visit. Then, Brad. Okay, Brad. I'm real curious. I think I know what your number one is. Yeah. But uh, let's let's hear it. <clears throat> so when I saw Oppenheimer, I was about 
hundred percent sure that it was going to be my film of the year. Um, that was up until about a month ago when I saw Godzilla minus one. Yep. Uh, yeah, I, that, that movie is fantastic to make, to, to know that they made it for less than $15 million and just the emotions that I went through some of the set pieces, it just, it is such a good movie. I'm honestly not really even the biggest Godzilla fan, but our friend Charlie loves uh, monster movies. And I went with him and both of him walked out of the, the theater and was like, that's the best film I've seen this year. Uh, probably the best Godzilla film I've ever seen. So Godzilla minus one. Uh, I would agree with you a thousand percent that that is definitely in the top, um, the top five. Uh, I, I love that film so much. I'm so sad though, that I haven't found time to go watch it again. The they're going to re-release it in black and white. And I'm, I'm trying to get out and see that. So, Oh, that would be amazing. That would be, that'd be so good. All right. Well, my number one, look, if Don Lee is number two, the number one's obvious then if we're talking action films. And uh, it's none other than Mission Impossible, Dead Reckoning, Part 1. I think um, it, I mean, Tom Cruise is pretty much living out his, I don't know, Jackie Chan, James Bond fantasy with these films. And he is pushing the limits on the practical stunt work. But in a, in a year filled with Part 1 of, you know, because Fast X ended on a cliffhanger, we get Part 1 of the Spider-Verse thing. Um everything is being split into two films. This is no different, but what I really appreciated about this film is on its own. It's a complete story and it comes to a satisfying conclusion. It sets you up for a part two, but you know what? If they never did the part two, you, you wouldn't suffer. Um, it actually has a, a satisfying resolution. Now you hope to see where it goes, but I loved everything about this film. I love um, the ensemble cast. I love the intrigue. It has some great action sequences, but even the quiet moments are really good in this thing too. And I'm a big proponent of the theatrical experience. And I got to tell you, this movie looked fantastic on IMAX. It looked fantastic on a just a regular theatrical screen. The Atmos soundtrack was fantastic in this thing too. Um, so yeah, this was probably one of my favorite movie going experiences. It was this one and seeing Barbie in, uh, Rome, Italy <laughs> were, the, were the two times in the theater where I'm like, okay, those are, those are my favorite times at the movies this year. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I'm just amazed at how good of a film Tom Cruise is still delivering in a genre that should be stale at this point. And it's not, he, he manages to bring something different and refreshing. And even some of the things that happened to key characters in this film they don't feel cheap like i think in any other hands some of the things that would occur and i'm talking about a particular death would would just kind of be like well that's just a plot thing here mm -hmm. it, it actually means something because they do a good job of setting up the relationship um even in this film leading up to it but uh yeah that's that's probably my favorite film of the year in the action genre and if you're talking in overall like top 10 it would definitely make the top five so there you go are we ready for the worst? Yeah. Do we just want to like, I, I don't want to spend too much time on the horse films of the year. So do you just want to do our, just all five of them? Um, yeah, let's, let's go with you, Brad. We'll, we'll okay. see what you got. Uh, <clears throat> so I need to apologize to our friend Jose for my first one here, but my number five worst film of the year is rebel moon. Once again, uh, Zack Snyder knows how to make a good looking film can't do any sort of story or plot or characters that are worth a damn. Um, 
I am my number four film would be Knights of the Zodiac, which is based on the Saint uh, Seiya anime. Uh, it is a hot garbage of bad CGI. I would not recommend it. Speaking of green screen and bad CGI, my number three is Ghosted. Uh, <laughs> you know, I'm tired of seeing characters uh, standing in front of a green screen. I'm looking at you, Hidden Strike. Uh, and then my second, so number two would be The Exorcist Believer. I, I thought that movie was really garbage. Um, and now I, I'm, I'm scared now, Choi. I need yeah. to make sure that my number one is actually came out this year. Uh, if it is what I think it is, it did. Well, it came out theatrically this year. Okay. Yes. And so my number one is Skinner Rink. Okay. Okay. <laughs> okay. I was like, wait a minute. No, I think it had a 2022 debut or something. But it, I, I, yeah. My, my uh, first okay. theatrical experience uh, was Skinner Rink in January. That's how oh, I kicked okay. off 2023. So Oof. yeah, Oof. Uh, more on that in a minute. Um, Nathan, why don't you go through your five? Uh, in no particular order. I've actually only got four because I can't make a decision on a, a couple ties, but I've got uh, right on. The Jackie Chan really, film? Yep. Yeah, go fuck uh, yourself. I found it wow. a rough one to get through. <laughs> oh, absolutely. I, yeah, yeah, yourself. You, yeah you're, you're, you're li- your list is obsolete now, so go fuck yourself. <laughs> <laughs> I cried. Uh, I did too. I can't believe you. You have no heart. All right. What's four? Go we'll ahead, talk about going. it more later. If we're trying to keep this uh, <laughs> short, let's keep rolling. Uh, I got the Fablemans on this list as well. I just felt it dragged. Uh, also struggled to get through it. Oh, so you did a uh, Brad it, there. It was released last year, but didn't it, it got theatrical. Yeah, it's okay. all right. It's all right. We'll yeah, let that's it go. cool. That's cool. Uh, the burial. Uh, I, it's, that has made me realize that I probably just don't like courtroom dramas. Um, okay. And then I think I have to go with the Mario movie. And I put that as in the most overhyped movie, uh, category for me. So man, wow. Coming out, just firing. I still love you. I, yeah. (laughs) I mean, everyone has flaws, right? And, And we like what we like. Uh, so. Yeah, but sometimes you're just wrong. But okay. Um, I mean, box office says I'm wrong on some of those. So yeah. Well, <laughs> box office has said I'm wrong about Marvel movies the last 15 years too. So true, true. So uh, number five, I'm going to pull a Guy Ritchie thing here, and I'm going to say number five is Scott Waugh. So Scott Waugh, you talked about CGI, Brad. Scott Waugh directed the worst CGI film I have seen might be ever and unfortunately it is a jackie chan film it's not right on but it's hidden strike that thing is a freaking hot mess but he also directed the expendables four which is equally terrible so um yeah number five i I miss i i miss expendables four but i didn't i i think i came out the winner on that one yeah you did definitely (laughs) please if if you're like but it's jason state no forget it just skip it right so number four (laughs) <laughs> this is a poor use of Donnie Yen. And unfortunately he was a co-director on it, but it's, um, Sakura. So it's a, it's oh, a film yeah. I was super excited to see. Yeah. And, uh, when it came out, it was pretty much like wire foo CGI nonsense. There's, there's one really good action sequence in it, but the rest is kind of terrible. It, it's supposed to kick off a trilogy or film series. And I, I hope it doesn't go anywhere cause it's, it's absolutely terrible. Um, and it was surprising to see Donnie Yen in an American film fare better 
than he did in a film that he co-directed himself. You don't you don't need CGI and wires for Donnie Yen. Just let Donnie Yen be Donnie Yen. Uh, number three, I don't know if you guys saw this film. I was kind of stoked when I saw the trailer, and it got a really limited theatrical release and then came out on Blu-ray. But it's this film called One Ranger with Thomas Jane and John Malkovich. Um, they are competing for who can do the worst accent. Those two. <laughs> yes, they are. Oh my God, are terrible. And it's a Jesse V. Johnson directed film. So it really should be like this ripoff of a Walter Hill film, like extreme prejudice, but it's boring and uninspired. And anytime Thomas Jane or Malkovich open their mouth, you're like, please stop. It's, it is terrible. Oh man, that's disappointing. Yeah. I, I was, you watch the trailer and you're like, this looks amazing. Then you go watch the film and you're like, my ears are bleeding. Um, it's terrible. And you're you're trying well, you can't fall asleep with it because just as the insomnia is, or not insomnia, it it is like visual NyQuil, but you'll never go to sleep because when they talk, it just wakes you right up. All right. Mine's a little different, Brad. Number two is skin marink. Okay. Um, the reason why I mean, go listen to our episode of Breaking Brad. We talk about that. The reason why Exorcist Believer is worse than Skinamarink is Exorcist Believer actually has some of the worst dialogue and screenplay I've ever heard. Yeah, because Skinamarink has no dialogue, so therefore it can't be bad. <laughs> yeah. But I'm I'm thinking of this very specific exchange. So I'm gonna I'm gonna read it from the screenplay. Chris McNeil, who plays, you know, Reagan's mother, says that's very nice as you call it as a screenplay, Troy. Yeah, I didn't actually, or back of the napkin. I don't know what David Gordon Green was doing. Um, I didn't actually witness it, you know, the exorcism. Victor, the, the father, says, why not? Chris McNeil says, my opinion, because I'm not a member of the damn patriarchy. That That's a what sample. Was? Yeah, that's a sample of the type of screenplay we got. This movie tries to be as politically correct and all inclusive as possible to where at the end you don't get a Roman Catholic priest performing an exorcism. You get uh, sort of like the Avengers of all of the faiths and religions doing an exorcism. And it's one of the most hokiest things exorcist Two, regardless of what you think about that, the Borman film and how wacky it is. It actually has um, a better viewing experience and more credibility from a story perspective than this thing. This movie is so bad, I pretty much have texted um, some people, uh, some friends of ours, specifically Sammy and Jose, because uh, they're they're big fans of David Gordon Green. I, I think I've texted him almost every day at this point now since that movie came out, Brad. Fuck David Gordon Green. I absolutely... Yeah. No, I, I can verify that. <laughs> yeah, it it is terrible. I, I hope this guy never makes films again after that one. I understand he may have made some decent stuff at the beginning of his career, but it's all about what you do today. And uh, in 2023, they should take all of his, uh, I don't know, camera, pen, whatever he uses to write a screenplay on, take it all away. Any honorable mentions or anything on the worst of? No, honestly, those after those five, like I kind of liked quite a bit of stuff. Like I was really happy that, my best of list had a way longer uh, list than the worst of. Yeah. Like I, I really enjoyed Barbie. Like there was a lot of films I really enjoyed that could have been on my list when evil lurks, but I just, you know, I had to pick five and that's what I was feeling at the time. Yeah. I was, uh, I'm same way. 
it was not hard to come up with those five or in this case six because I I put two from one director because those just stood out. But the the list of films that were really good in twenty twenty three it's a super long list. So um, well done. I mean, the 2023. bad ones were really bad. Yeah, they were terrible. <laughs> or it's that the the good ones are so good the bad ones stuck out even stuck more. Out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you're half full, I, I like that way of looking at it. I was just surprised that I would put a list together and have both Donnie Yen and Jackie Chan on a worst of list. So it happens. I know. Um, Brad. Yes, sir. What, what are we kicking off 2024 with? Yeah. So we're going to sci-fi land. Uh, we're going to go to 2018's American sci-fi film starring Pedro Pascal. We're going with prospect. Yes. Uh, I can promise everybody in January. I think you and I both get two picks. Both of my picks are probably films you've never heard of and um, you should have seen. They are both available on 4K if you're a physical media person. But yeah, Prospect was something that um, it it's a, would you call it like a space western almost? Yeah, space western. Space western. Way to describe it. Yeah, and I was surprised uh, not a lot of people talked about it. So we're, we're going to see if it deserves a little bit of love and hype. So, um, you can, I think you can find that pretty easy. That's not a hard one to get a hold of. Yeah, for sure. Okay. And, uh, what else is going on? We we're done with breaking Brad. That's, we closed that one with like a banger. We I did think. with an absolute banger. Yeah. Um, yeah, that one was, was fun, but bittersweet at the same time. Um, yeah. So if you want to know what we're doing next year, go listen to that episode of breaking Brad and you can hear, uh, our idea for next year, but Jose, Sammy, Troy, and I will be doing something different. Um, looking at kind of the inverse of bad films, if you will. So yeah. Yeah. I'm looking forward to that. Uh, Nathan, what film festivals are you hitting up next year? Is it the usual? Uh, the usual, the Phoenix Film Festival. Um, I've started tracking the Santa Fe Film Festival because that's not far either. I think that's in October-ish, but I, I need a, to look at the year and create my list and f- figure out travel plans. So, Awesome. I think I'm going to try and come out for the Phoenix one. Brad, you should you should look at that too. That okay. would be fun. Right. What other podcast? got a place to crash. Oh, I hope so. You're going to kick me out to the <laughs> curb? My goodness. Without saying, right? Without I just saying. let you say at my house, but you know, whatever. Yeah, whatever. whatever. <laughs> no. uh, other podcasts you should listen to. Troy, you should listen to The Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema. The Watch Skip Plus guys when they return or check out that back catalog. The VHS Files, Night of the Living Podcast, Backlook Cinema, The Mixtape Podcast, and Raiders of the Podcast. And uh, if you're over on YouTube, check out and now for something a little bit different from our good friend John. He's uh, been posting a lot of stuff. Uh, hey, folks, if you want to, I don't know, tell us some possible recommendations for 2024, what kind of movies we should uh, review next year, how do they get a hold of us, Brad? Yeah, that's not a bomb, not a bomb podcast at gmail.com or head over to not a bomb podcast. Uh, or I'm sorry, let me start that over, Troy. Yeah, <laughs> not a bomb podcast.com is our website. Uh, or you can hit us up on our Gmail, which is not a bomb pod at gmail.com or look for us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Excellent. So we've had a couple of listeners um, send us audio files like MP3s for feedback. Our good friend Randy sent one and we played it during the. Um, oh boy, uh, did we? Yeah, the Christmas. 
breaking Brad. So it was a lot of fun. If you guys want to send us any audio clips and we can squeeze it in, we'll definitely do that too. We would love to hear your awesome voice on here. Please continue sending your feedback and thoughts on the movies that we talk about, but also recommendations. We have uh, a lot of blank spots in the year and we're just looking for what kind of direction you think we should be going. We've had some pretty good recommendations. Actually have watched a couple of films or have caught up with them on holiday break too that uh, are making the list. So um, I don't know. I'm trying to think. Is there any other housekeeping or is that about it? Not really. Yeah. We're, we're like recording during the day. It's it's kind of weird. So it <laughs> like is weird. The sun is still out while I'm, <laughs> while I'm recording. It's weird. I know. Um, and hey, if you get a second please pass on our podcast anybody that you know that happens to like films or two guys talking about films. If you get a minute, leave us a review on any of the platforms that you listen to our show on. I think that helps us get um, the show in front of more people. We're going to have probably the same uh, round of guests that we had in 2023. Nathan will be on in 2024 as well. Um, but we're going to bring back a lot of fresh voices or the same voices, but also add some fresh ones in. Um, we've got a couple of things that we're working on and, uh, you know, I know we talked about this at Christmas, but now that, uh, we're finishing 2023, I have to say just a big thank you to everybody. Yeah. I, I echo that. Thank you everyone. Um, yeah, it seems like our podcast really took off on Spotify. So if you're listening to us on Spotify, thank you. Cause our growth on that platform was absolutely huge. Um, but yeah, if you can review us there or review us over on Apple podcasts, Wherever you get us, uh, yeah, pass us around, pass us around, share us to your friends. Uh, <laughs> Either way, it sounds dirty. But yeah, thank you very much for listening this year has, you know, saw awesome growth for our, our, for our show and our listenership and just the engagement in the community. So I really appreciate everyone who has listened. Um, you know, we have a bunch of OGs who listen to the very beginning and then, you know, Troy and I get messages all the time of people saying, Hey, just check out your podcast. I'm going to listen from now on and go back and listen to the back catalog. So if that's one of, you know, if you've done that, we hear you, we thank you so much. Um, yeah, man, it, it, we still keep going for some reason. We still keep doing this. Yeah. We're, we're, we're still not doing any kind of, uh, advertising outside of our little commercials of older movies we like to throw in there, but, um, we will probably give some more free stuff away in 2024. We've got some ideas. We've got some more theme months coming, but you know, like Brad said, it's the engagement and it's the interaction with the community. That is the reason why we do this. And I can't thank you enough for just dropping an email, dropping a little line on the social post, saying hi, doing your recommendations disagreeing with us the way that Nathan disagreed with us tonight on right on. Um, you know, we love it. We, we love to hear your opinion. Uh, we kind of feel like this thing's all about more community than anything. And, uh, we're super happy that we just have you participating in our lives and we hope to keep that going in 2024. So with that, I don't know if you're listening in the morning, the afternoon or evening, Please come back next week. We're going to talk about some sci-fi, Brad's favorite genre. And uh, hopefully we um, talk about a movie that you will soon discover and actually like. So we'll catch you then. Don't lose your head. 